Each year I enjoy the experience of thinking about and shopping and preparing for the gifts. And I confess to you, I'm not the best of shoppers. If I can't find it on Amazon.com or some other .com or .net, then somebody else goes and buys it for me. And I'll say, well, you go find this for me and give them the money and I'll say, I'll buy your lunch. Because nothing, I'm telling you, nothing scares me more than a mall. And I get so nervous when I go in there and get so tired, but I do enjoy preparing and getting ready for Christmas time. I enjoy especially watching one of our children, Benjamin. We all agree in our family that no one in our whole family buys more thoughtful gifts and puts more thought into the gifts that he buys each year than what Benjamin puts into gifts. And I enjoy, too, and look forward as we, our family comes home. Andrew and Dana will be coming home for Christmas, and Christmas Day we'll fly out to go to Georgia, and then Chris and Rachel will meet us in uh, Georgia, and we'll celebrate with our families there and have a wonderful time. We're getting calls from relatives and all the parties that are set up there. And by the way, you need to pray for your pastor. All of my pants are as tight as they can be. <laughs> I had a physical this week that I tried to cancel because I put on so much weight. I got this amazing pecan pie last week. Amazing pecan pie. And cakes and things. And then we've had parties and been to parties. I miss Sansabelt slacks. If you're a certain age, you know what I'm talking about. If you're not, you don't. But they just kind of expanded with you as you went into the holiday season. Do any of you remember those? Yeah, I thought so. Those were the best things ever. I'm so sorry they went out of style. I'm buttoning my, buttoning my coat so you can't see the bubble in the middle this morning. I love Christmas, and I love getting ready for Christmas, and I just want us one more time to give to Pastor Mark, give to Becky and everybody, the whole team that got this presentation ready for us this morning. Wasn't this wonderful? Would you give them another hand? Hallelujah. Becky and Benjamin came last year and presented an idea to the staff, and uh, it has been so much fun in preparing for this Christmas and everybody that's participated. But I'd like to talk to you for a moment about the gift of Christmas before we come to next Sunday and then our Christmas Eve service. And as I read you a familiar story, and I read you the story that you know so many times, my prayer for you has been that you won't miss the joy of Christmas because you're so familiar with Christmas. I have kind of marveled listening to the news, and I think I told you last week about the two anchors that I heard who said they hated Christmas music. How can anybody hate Christmas music? How can anybody hate the carols that have been sang here this morning? I watched the students and the children as they were preparing, the men and the women as they sang, and you could see for them it was more than just lyrics. It was about the true meaning of Christmas. And what I'd like you to know is, is that you can experience the gift of Christmas. You can experience the joy of Christmas this year. And the people who say that they hate Christmas music have probably just not discovered what the joy and the true meaning of Christmas is. And I want to encourage you to go back to the manger. I want to encourage you to return to those familiar scenes that the Bible tells us about of how God sent His love to us. I want you to meet me in memory there this morning and remember what the angel said. 
Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be all to people. And you might want to circle those two words in your outline this morning. Great joy. Christmas should bring great joy to all of us. Not a giddy happiness, not a, a kind of jumping up and down thing that we work up, but this deep sense of joy of how much we're loved. When an angel announces 2,000 years ago, the thing that the very first thing the angel said about this time that we celebrate is that Christmas is about joy. And I see so many people who are glad when Christmas is over, and then I see people who are happy when Christmas comes, and I wonder what makes the difference. Mayo Clinic recently did a study for Alzheimer's patients, and the results that they found out from the Alzheimer patient study was that music helps them. It brings back memories, memories that are joyful and happy to them. Music helps Alzheimer's patients uh, to remember things and to think better. But the more they studied it, one of the things they came away with is that music, people who listen to music tend to be more joyful people. I know when I run sometimes, I've got to turn up the mix just right because there's something about the music that helps you run a little bit faster or helps you run a little bit longer. And that very first night that the angels appeared, there was a heavenly choir with them and there was great joy. I think whether you're entertained or whether you are entertaining, that one of the things that you love about Christmas is that opportunity for you to give to your friends and your family or for you to receive from your fan family. But as I've thought about gifts this year, one of the thoughts that sees my mind and I kind of journaled about is, how much I've changed when it comes to gifts. My entire family called me this year. My brother-in-laws, my sisters, my kids, my wife. Because on my Amazon wish list, the only thing that you're going to find there is books. Does that surprise you? It's the only thing you're going to find is books. And my family all called and says, we're not giving you a book this year. What do you want for Christmas? And I literally could not think of one thing that they could afford that I wanted for Christmas. I literally couldn't think of anything that I really truly wanted for Christmas. And it just dawned on me as I thought about that, that as I've grown older, it's not about the gifts that I get. It's about the gifts that I get to give. It's, it's the anticipation of seeing people's faces when they receive the gifts that I bought for them. It's seeing the joy in Becky's face. It's seeing the joys in our children's face. It's, it's those little things that Becky still insists that we do, like hanging stockings on the fireplace and filling them up for our children and, and seeing those little things that we buy for them. And some years I'll come up with a theme for the boys and something for Amy, and it's generally my job to put those gifts in there. It's that joy and that anticipation. It's those calls that I remember during the years. Dad, you remember that little survival knife you gave us in our stocking? I still use that all the time. It's those kinds of things that my kids call me and tell me about. It's the giving of gifts. Before we moved up here, I um, bought or had Becky a ring made years before we moved up here, many years ago. We uh, were she had a little small diamond that I'd given her when we were in Bible college together, and that was her wedding ring. And 
So I decided after we had bought our first house and built our first house and I wanted to give her a ring just to say thank you. It's the ring she still wears to this day. And so I went to see a friend of mine who was a jeweler. He helped me pick out the stones. I had designed the ring. He designed it. I had an inscription put into it. And I will never forget that Christmas. I um, bought her all these little gifts to trip her up. And they were meaningless little gifts. And she was open and going, well, thank you, thank you. You know, there was no, she knew in that big box there was something. But finally she opened that big box, which had another box, which had another box, which had another box. And then when she got to the little box, her face lit up and... The inside was a clue. And then she had to go on a scavenger hunt through my parents' house, you know. And she finally found the ring, and I got the most amazing kiss of my life that day. I still remember that kiss. I still remember her face, and I still remember the joy and the anticipation. I remember Danny, the jeweler, calling me up and says, how did she react? What was she like? And I was telling him all about it. And then Joe, his wife, would call me later and she says, Danny told me how excited Becky was about her ring and we're so thrilled. There's just some joy about giving a gift. But what I did was what you do when it comes to Christmas time. I saved the very best gift for last. And I want you to know that 2,000 years ago, somewhere around 2,000 years ago, God had saved the very best gift for us. And I have tried to think and say, Father, give me this sense of anticipation that you must have experienced. Because the Bible uses a phrase often called in the fullness of time, in the fullness of time, in the fullness of time. I tried to imagine what it must have been like as the prophets prophesied thousands of years before Christ was born. I tried to imagine what it must have been like when Christ was first predicted in the garden that the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. I tried to imagine what God must have been anticipating when from the very beginning when he knew that you and I would sin and we would fail God and our parents would sin and fail God, God was going to send a Savior in this world and for thousands of years he waited until the fullness of time. The Bible describes it like this, but when the right time finally came, God sent his own son. He came as the son of a human mother and lived under the Jewish law to redeem those who are under the law. Read this out loud with me if you would please. So that we might become God's sons and daughters. Read that again. So that we might become God's sons and daughters. That's the reason that I write you emails and letters and I address them as high family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're a part of a family. I remember those years of anticipation and expectation that Becky and I had before we became parents. Ten years of longing and praying. I remembered when that wrinkled up little baby that I was afraid would, all the wrinkles would never fall out of Andrew, you know, was put into our arms and we loved him so much. That anticipation. I can also tell you that I'm not very good with that kind of thing. Because years after the ring I just told you about, I wanted to do something special for our 20th anniversary. So I had Becky another ring made. And this time, I really had saved up my money. I had done the best I could from different engagements that I'd had. And I put all this money away. I didn't tell her about it. And then I had this beautiful ring made to give to her on our 20th anniversary. Or maybe give it to her for Christmas because it was just that special. And I'll never forget, I got the ring, got it back from the jeweler. I looked at it. Oh, it was so pretty. I knew she was going to love it. And I remembered that amazing kiss I got. 
I went and put it in the safe deposit bank. And every, at the bank, and every once in a while, I go to the safe deposit box, I pull it, I look at it, and I thought to myself one day, I can't hold on to this any longer. I can't keep this any longer. Our anniversary is not until August, and, but it was April, so I went and I got the ring out of the safe deposit box. No special dinner, no special event. I came home, went to the back of the house. She was in the bedroom, and I says, here, you got to take this. And I gave her the ring, and she was just blown away, and the rest is none of your business. You see, I couldn't wait, and I know some of you are like that. You are just anticipating Christmas morning to give that gift because you know the joy. And I would like you to think for just a moment of the joy of the Father when you receive the gift of Jesus Christ and accept His forgiveness of your sins and my sins, and you say to Him, I love you. Thank you for this priceless gift. His name is Jesus. Can we give Him a hand of praise this morning. <laughs> Hallelujah. 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 15 says, let us thank God for His priceless gift. You see, the second thing I'd take and say to you this morning is, let's celebrate Christ this Christmas. Let's don't let the Scrooges, let's don't let the world rob us of the true joy of Christ. We want to celebrate Him. The Bible says in Luke chapter 2 and verse 11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. I don't know what your kids were like, but our kids would get up 5 o'clock, 4 o'clock, sometimes 3 o'clock in the morning. Can we open our gifts yet? Becky would always send them back to bed and tell them what time they could get up, and they would be sitting in the hallway. We live at the top of a hill, and I can still see them sitting in that hallway and looking out over that hill and laughing, and, Daddy, can we go? And I go, no, not to your mama says so. I don't know about your house, but in my house, Becky is the neck that turns the heads. So they'd sit there in the hall waiting, and then finally when Becky said they could come, they would charge in there, and I always told her, I says, this makes no sense. Why do we spend money on wrapping paper? Why do we wrap things? Because bows would be flying, ribbon would be flying, paper would be everywhere, and they would be ripping into those gifts and jumping up and down. My parents would show up at the door. They would come in. My dad was the biggest kid alive, and he would be in the middle of the floor playing with them all the games. Everything that they had anticipated, they began to celebrate. And how many times we heard this. This is the best Christmas ever. This is the best Christmas ever. And then we would read the Christmas story, and Becky always prepares the very same gift. I mean, it's very same breakfast of ginger pancakes and lemon syrup and apple pancakes and apple syrup. And we sit down to a feast on Christmas morning. You see, it's anticipation that turns into celebration. I told a friend of mine, Monty Hip, Monty who is a national representative for several major firms. He's also spoken here for our youth conventions here in Michigan. But Monty was with me and down in Georgia and he says, why didn't you tease Becky? Why didn't you tell her you had this thing? He says, can you imagine how much greater Becky's joy would have been? If you would have waited to your anniversary and took her someplace romantic, and if you would have had a romantic dinner and just pulled the... And he just painted this picture of it. And I said, Monty, you make me feel terrible. He said, well, it was all about you. 
And I just felt bad. And finally, I called Renee, his wife, and I said, Renee. And I told her what I had done. She says, don't listen to money. You always do what you feel is right. And you see, there's this sense that anticipation does lead to celebration. And some of you, some of you in this room, I'm going to guess maybe one, listen, one out of two of you, you just need to let loose and celebrate this year. You need to let the ribbons fly. You need to rip open the paper. It may not have been the best year that you can remember. It may not have been the best year financially. It may not have been the best year in your marriage. You may have had some real trials. But I'm telling you, you've got every reason to celebrate. For unto you has been born this day a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. The greatest need you'll ever have met in your life is the forgiveness of your sins. Can we give him another hand of praise this morning? And do you know why that is? Do you know why this gift of Christmas is so important? Because out of all of God's creation, human beings, you and me, we're the only ones wired both to love to give gifts and love to receive gifts. There's no one else in all of creation, no other animals that love to give gifts or receive gifts. I was watching Discovery Channel one night, and they were showing this bird in South America that would bring stones to attract a maid, and so the narrator was saying he brings gifts, and so I looked this particular animal up on Wikipedia, and he doesn't really give gifts, he's just doing what instinct says. He gets pretty rocks hoping to attract a maid and when business is done, he's gone and that's all over with. But you and I, we love to give gifts and we love to receive gifts. And here's the joy of a gift. Because when I give a gift, I'm expressing my love for the person that I give the gift to. A gift always expresses your love to the person you care about. But when I give a gift, I'm always hoping the gift that I give is going to meet a need in their life. You remember when you were kids and your parents would give you clothes and you'd be so disappointed? You know, you wanted a toy and your mama bought you shirts. You wanted this and your mama bought you shoes. I'll tell you, when I was previewing these videos and I heard Fred talk about potato chips, Fred, I'm going to buy you the biggest bag of potato chips you've ever seen in your life, bud, if that's what makes you happy. (laughs) What kind do you like? Huh? Regular. That's boring. (laughs) Barbecue or something like that, man. But we give gifts because we hope they meet the need of somebody we care about. And sometimes your parents gave you a gift that you really didn't want, but you really needed. And I find that to be the truth of a lot of time when I'm talking to people who haven't given their life to Jesus yet. I'm thinking of a man that uh, he owns a ski slope, a wonderful man. Taught with him so many times. And he just told me one day, he says, I don't need God. I've got everything I need. What do I need God for? It was the first time in his life anybody had ever confronted him with his sin. It's the first time anybody had ever confronted him with his life of what was going to happen when he died. It was the first time anybody had ever confronted him with, how are your children going to grow up and live and die? Will you be like a rich man that Jesus talked about who died and was suffering and said, please send back Lazarus so he could tell my brothers? Or will you be that dad that leads your children to Christ and prays with them? You see, sometimes we don't realize the greatest need we have is for a Savior. I was listening to Pastor Rick Warren preach a Christmas message. 
And I wrote down these words that he said. He said, if our greatest need had been knowledge, God would have given us a teacher. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have given us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have given us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have given us an entertainer. But our greatest need is forgiveness. So God gave us a savior. Isn't that powerful? So our greatest need is for forgiveness. So God gave us a savior. He's not only the best gift, he's the most unique gift. Now, if you give a golfer a rod and reel, he's probably not going to be very happy. And if you give a fisherman a set of golf clubs, he's probably not going to be very happy. But when you give somebody something unique that's according to their interests, they always celebrate. They always get happy about that. And when Christ, when this announcement that Christ was born unto you this day is born a Savior, which is Christ the Lord, friends, you've got to understand, for Jews, that was anticipation. My Jewish friends and I, when we talk about the Messiah, those who aren't Christians, and they talk about their hope for the Messiah. This summer, Becky and I had lunch with a, a well-known author who's published many books and wrote a book that several of you had recommended to me, The Harbinger, and we had lunch with him this summer and enjoyed our time together in talking. And, and I remember asking the rabbi how you came to know Jesus as your Savior, how you came to know Christ as your Lord. What made the difference? You know, growing up in an Orthodox home as you did, how did you come to embrace Jesus Christ, Savior, especially with all the things that you had been told about Christians and about Jesus? And I'll never forget how he shared with me not only the love that had been expressed to him by people who truly knew Christ, but they modeled the life of Christ until God sovereignly awakened his heart. Don't you ever look at me. If you hear nothing else I say and you're a follower of Christ, don't you ever underestimate the power of your story and the power of your example of reaching out to lost people. Gentiles and Jews need a Savior. It's the reason I've never been able to understand racism. The only response we can have is what the angel says, glory to God in the highest. Read this with me. Luke chapter 2, verse 12. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Now imagine with me for a moment. Do you think they said glory to God in the highest? Or do you think they just let loose? I mean... I've watched football with some of you. Some of you are maniacs. Some of you jump up and down like you're insane. Some of you throw things. I won't call any names in this room because I have been right there with you. Some of us have spilled our Coca-Colas on the carpet and our wives fuss at us. Because we're acting so immature. That is not a word that any woman should use to a man during football season. <laughs> Forbidden. I heard some amens right there. When those angels, when God had been anticipating this day, when Christ would be born, the Savior, the fullness of time, 
heavens must have echoed. The earth must have thundered. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Would you say it with me this morning like you're really excited about it? Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. Now let's give him a hand of praise. <laughs> Hallelujah. I don't think anybody will be offended at that. I don't think anybody will be offended at that kind of joy that God loves us and sent a son to be born for us. Well, finally this morning, when it comes to the gift of Christmas, let's live gratefully. Let's live with gratitude for God's Christmas gift. Around my house and in my parents' house and in Becky's parents' house, and all the parties. There's a common phrase I hear. I hear it more at Christmas, actually, than I hear it at Thanksgiving. And that's thank you. Thank you. We've hosted a couple of parties already. We've been to some. And people have walked out the door going, thank you, Becky. Thank you. And just praising Becky for what she has done. People have said, thank you. My kids, Christmas time, they'll be saying, thank you. My grandchildren, I can't wait for them to get here, to see their faces. You'll just hear it, thank you. We'll celebrate. We'll celebrate and hopefully in some way, fashion, shape, or form. And if you don't have these memories as a child, I'm sorry. My dad didn't have them. His father died when he was six years old. And his mother ran the farm and things were tough. Fred, I was listening to your story and thinking about things that daddy had told me. My mother was the daughter of a sharecropper. My parents didn't have the kind of Christmases they gave us every year. But they worked hard to be sure that we would have a full and a joyous Christmas. My dad grew up where they could only have church once a month because there wasn't a pastor or a minister. They lived so far out in the backwoods of South Georgia. And so once a month, my grandmother would gather her children into a mule and a wagon, and they would make the journey to church. And so dad tells me, he says, I can never remember a Christmas Eve service or a Christmas service or a church decorated like this church is decorated. But my parents made sure that we had some Christmas memories. And they're all memories that focus around the story. If you were to come into my study, Becky and my kids for Father's Day, we did my study, and one of the things they did was they took my dad's Bible, and they put it in a glass case for me, and I take it out once in a while. It's worn, it's battered, it's torn, it's marked up. But I can see him sitting down with us every Christmas to celebrate the Christmas story. And he would read it. Sometimes he would weep. But then I could see his hand would come up and his pinky finger would always be extended like this. And he would pray and his hand would quiver with a love for Jesus and a love for his family. We knew what Christmas was all about. We loved the gifts that he gave us. We love the fact that he loved our mother. We love the fact that there was a lot of happiness and joy and 
the relatives and neighbors all came to our house. Everybody was at our house for Christmas. The preacher was at our house. And if you've ever wondered where I got my love for fried chicken, when you have as much company as my mama had, fried chicken was the cheapest meal you could put on the table. And, but I remember celebrating. And Daddy would read these words, and it came to pass. The angels were gone away. From them into heaven, and the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And he would tell us, Every Christmas, you need to go back to Bethlehem. And we knew we couldn't go to Bethlehem. My daddy was too afraid to fly. He flew one time in his life stood straight up with the seatbelt strapped around him. They still don't know how he did it. He got off the plane and rented a car to drive back because he wouldn't get on another one. But when I went to Israel to study, my dad brought me some money and he says, here, I want you to go to Bethlehem. I want you to buy a manger set, a nativity set for your mother. I want you to buy one for Becky. I want you to buy one for your sisters and their families. He said, son, I want you to go to Bethlehem. And I want you to go to that church that everybody goes to that they say it was built over the place where Jesus was born. He says, son, take this money and I want you to go to Bethlehem. And I want you to pray. I was never so disappointed as when I got to Bethlehem. It was busy, it was raucous. I bought the nativity sets. I went into a church that you had to kneel down to get inside the church. It was a way of showing you or teaching you humility. And I got to that place where there's a star and all kinds of jewels and stuff and cameras are clicking and people are loud. Daddy had told me, I want you to pray at Bethlehem. And people are shoving you. It's not what you would imagine. And I got down on my knees and I bit down and I kissed that star because my dad had taught me since I was a child go to Bethlehem and worship the king one starlit night I lay outside of Bethlehem and I looked up the skies and just wished that I could have an angelic appearance and suddenly I really felt the Lord saying to me Dennis you don't need an angelic appearance you have Jesus. And when you have Jesus, you've got everything. You've got the best gift of all. If God gave you His Son, won't He give you everything else you need for life and for happiness and joy? Think about that. If God gave you Jesus, He will give you everything else you need in this world. Would you stand with me this morning? Before we pray, Jessica had enjoyed Christmas with her family. She'd enjoyed Christmas with her cousins. She'd enjoyed Christmas getting all the gifts that she'd been given. When a tired little Jessica was put to bed that night, she looked at her mother and she says, Mama, I hope Jesus has another birthday next year because it's been so much fun. And I hope today that if you don't know the joy of knowing Jesus, 
you will leave this place like you came. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, who loved us, who shed his blood at Calvary for us, who rose again on the third day and who is coming back again soon, whose praises we have sang. And God, we've watched our children celebrate Christmas this year. I'm asking you now to speak to every one of our hearts. God, not just for those that know you, but for those who, like my ski slope friend, don't know. I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer, everyone in the room. You don't have to pray it out loud, but I think this is something as followers of Jesus, and maybe if you're not a follower of Jesus, you'll pray with me like somebody did in the first service this morning. Just pray this sincerely. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I needed a Savior, so you sent me Jesus. I never really realized that He is the best gift of all. I may have said a prayer, but I haven't lived with the joy of Christmas each day in my life. And I pray that you'll forgive me. And I acknowledge to you today my need for a Savior. Forgive me of my sins and come into my life. For it's in Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen. Now I want you to listen to me. Because after I wrote this message this week, I was having a conversation with a family in our church that had a very difficult year. We prayed together, and we prayed, we wept, and I shared a verse with them that since then I've shared people in the I've shared with some of you on the phone, but I want to take you to Psalm 62 and verse 11. I want you to listen. God has spoken plainly, and I've heard it many times. Power, O oh God, belongs to you. Unfailing love, O oh Lord, is yours. Surely you repay all people according to what they have done. And if you're like me, you've probably focused on that last sentence. Can you put that up on the screen for me? You probably focused on that last sentence. Surely you repay all people according to what they've done. I mean, we've heard that so many times that God, God repays the sinner. We've heard that. Whatever you sow, you reap. But this week, Monday morning, when I was having my devotions in my quiet time in my chair and in our family room, it's that middle phrase. It just, it was like, boxcar letters leapt off the page. I'd never underlined it in my Bible. I'd never highlighted it before in my Bible. But it just jumped out and it gripped me. Power, O oh God, belongs to you. Unfailing love, O oh Lord, is yours. And I wrote down in these words in my Bible, if God was all power, He would be terrified. But if God was all love, He couldn't save me. But because He's the loving, all-powerful God, there is nothing that He's not able to save and to deliver me from today. And that is the word of the Lord this Christmas for every one of us in here. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, 
God, forgive me of my sins. I need a Savior. God adopts you as his child. It's a beginning into a new life. And if maybe you're a Christian that for some reason you know your heart's kind of grown cold. You've kind of wandered. You don't sing with the same gusto you used to sing. You don't read the Bible with the same zeal you used to read. You don't share your faith. I want you to know the loving, powerful God that you serve is here to reignite that flame in your life, your first love once again. I love you. I hope you have a Merry Christmas. Now, next Sunday, we'll have church. And then Christmas Eve at 5 o'clock, you want to invite your friends and neighbors and cousins by the dozens. We're going to have a great Christmas Eve service here. And then right after this service, I'm going out first so I get the pick of the crop. There's a cookie sale. So you can have whatever I don't buy after the service is dismissed this morning.